Oh, that's recording now. Is this the actual start of the episode? I've said this every episode. No, no, this isn't the I'm not recording yet. You're not? Oh, that's good. I can say anything I want then. Yeah. Yes. No, we haven't got that fuck you money yet. You can't say Yeah. Fuck AppSync. <laughs> I'm sick of AppSync and GraphQL. People acting like they're better than me because they use cool technology. <laughs> Hold on. Okay, so... Why is AppSync so hot now? Tell me. Why does everyone want the AppSync? I mean, apps, I didn't like it. No, I don't understand it. You and I looked at it. Well, there's some, uh, you know, it, as soon it hit, as it hits the blog post world, mm. it's going to go crazy. Mm. Everything goes crazy when there's blog posts. Yeah. And then you want to make sure that you have like, um, it's resume driven development. Actually, I was just going to say every single job ad says 10 years of GraphQL experience required. Yeah. <laughs> everyone wants GraphQL now even though, uh, yeah, I haven't met anyone who actually needed or should have used GraphQL. Or who hasn't had a problem with GraphQL. At least in Australia, obviously larger companies, but in Australia, what do we have? 26 million people. Mm. We can handle that on like- A Raspberry Pi in the corner of our office. (laughs) We already do that. (laughs) All 26 million people in Australia use our app. (laughs) Well- That's a joke actually, I'm sorry. (laughs) This isn't me uh, stating that our company has that many customers. Okay, so- AppSync, fail. GraphQL, forget about it. Not forget about it. I mean, you know, there's always a use case where it is valuable, but don't... Well, hold on. We'll have to come back to it then. All right. Because we've got to talk about the more important thing. We have thing. to do the update. Update. Mono Lambda. Yeah, so we did You've an episode. You've been talking about it. Yeah. How long ago? Two, three episodes? I think it was 114, right? Yeah, 114. Yeah. Uh, I said I was going to implement mono lambdas. I said it was potentially the best idea on the planet. (laughs) And um, no one in the room disagreed with you. No one disagreed. There's only one person in the room. You had 100%, 100% of the room was in agreement. That's right. No one said anything that made me feel otherwise. So I just went for it. And I looked it up. I don't see anyone talking about it either. Yeah, well. What's happening? What's happening, internet? Get on, like, complain to me. Get in my, my Discord and tell me I'm done. Maybe, maybe we need a, a service called serverless mono lambda to get some hype behind it. And That's then true. It become, I need to make an NPM package. Yeah. It's not a real idea if it doesn't have an NPM package. But Actually, the thing- That's true. You need to get a package with get, get a few stars behind it. I specifically don't want a package though. That's, that's my philosophy. Oh. Like it, when you look at what's actually happening, mm. it's so simple that it's not worth- I, I was- well, you oh. dug into Express, I think. I'll just explain what it is briefly yeah, let's for go people through. who haven't heard we what have to, a mono lambda is. I, I need to hear the full implementation anyway, because last time we spoke about it, it was just an idea, but now it's reality. All right. So day one, you, you're starting a serverless application. You make your serverless.yaml.yaml. Yep. .yaml. Or .ts. .ts now. We yep. have a .ts. Yep. yep. And uh, you add your function and it's at slash health. And you're like, this is great. Mm-hmm. And then wow, serverless add, is amazing. Yeah, <laughs> it just goes there and it does it. And look, you look in the console and there's a Lambda and a gateway, everything's configured. Yeah, and your console log it goes to your logs, yeah. CloudWatch. Very smart. Mm. But then you start adding more. Mm. You, add, you add more and more Lambda functions, literal functions with events bound to them, the HTTP event bound yep. in your gateway. Because yep. uh, we're all about that event-driven architecture. The deploy just starts taking so long. Oh my God. Oh, yeah. Like I was getting up to the point before. And uh, so this, is, this was a problem at every company. How many lambdas did you have? Uh, we what got up we to, I think, 100 and something. That's yeah. a fair few. It's a good amount of endpoints. People probably, at this stage, people are probably breaking it into different microservices. But that's, we're not at the point where that's beneficial. No, that's yeah, right. I definitely don't think so. Mm. Um, that, that's like way premature optimization. Mm. And also microservices are like a communication thing. Like microservices are designed to let two different people work on something mm. without each other. Yeah. We're not doing if that. I'm the only one doing it, yeah, then make sense. why would I do that? Yes. I'm just making my life more painful. Yeah. More packages to manage. Yeah. But um, so my idea was, um, you know how they have this uh, serverless express stuff and like you can run a, an express app inside of, there's all these like wrappers and everything to make it easier to run an express app. Yep. And all of the blog posts say, oh, the reason why you would want to use this is that you already have an express app and you want to make it serverless. It's funny because I- um, Which sounds very bad. Well, one of my friends that, um, that I used to work with, my ex-colleague, he, he made this great app for taking notes. 
and uh, he had a few users using it and then he was going to shut it down. I'm like, why are you shutting it down? He's like, oh, the database costs me 50 bucks a month and people don't use it that much. I'm like, just wrap it with the, I'm like, how does it like, what's the server? He's like, it's Express. I go, just wrap it with the Express handler thing. Yeah. And then he came back over the weekend. He's like, oh, that was so easy and now it doesn't cost me any money. Oh, that's true. All right, fun. Yeah. For, for the small apps, that makes sense. Yeah. But um, most of your larger like Express apps, if you, you can't just transition. I feel like if you don't have the knowledge to like transition to using the functions, you're going to screw yourself over because you don't understand that there's like shared state between invocations or you don't un- like this, there's a, there's a gap. Mm. So it doesn't sound like it's the right thing to, to tell people to do. Mm. But anyway, I saw that and I was like, well, wait a minute. Serverless, there's no magic in software. It's all turtles all, right. <laughs> all the way down. <laughs> Lambda is just a, what is it? A firecracker container or whatever. Yeah, it's just, spun a, up. it's just Docker. Yeah, it's essentially just a Docker container yep. running. Uh, I don't think it is actually Docker, but yeah, it is like a just container. Just a container. Yeah, well, a what's, tarball. Well, what's Docker? Docker's just a container. We're going to get into that. Ep- <laughs> we'll do an episode on that. <laughs> you can do Docker without, you can make essentially Docker images and containers. They're yep. just like archives that run on their own oh, okay. file system. It's actually very simple. It's only... There's a, even an article I think where you, like they implement it in about a hundred lines of shell. But we'll come back to this in another. We'll episode. come back to that. But anyway, <laughs> I'm taking notes. Yeah, where's the horse? Keep the horse on track, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, mono lambda is all we're doing is we're really just doing path matching, path and ma- method matching, and then that's the bulk invoke. of Express, isn't it? Yeah, and that's also the bulk of. Well, it also does like content negotiation and this sort of stuff, yep. but really. Are you going, going to be accepting text uh, submissions mm. and also JSON submissions on the same endpoint? Yeah. Feels like no. Mm. Uh, that would be a weird API. I don't know very many APIs that are like, yeah, we'll take JSON and XML and text yeah. and HTML. Yeah. It's one or the other. Mm. Maybe the response type is different, but that's it. Yeah. And um, so the idea is I, I took all of my HTTP functions it doesn't work for the uh, event-driven stuff like the SNS stuff because there's not a path. I'll, I'll, I'll get to that. I'll actually, I have a solution for that that I'm going to do eventually. But um, wrap all those into one handler, one Lambda function. Mm-hmm. So now we had, uh, you know, we had 100 HTTP functions. Yep. We now have a single Lambda function for the Zap service. Yep. That uh, within it does path matching. API mm-hmm. gateway proxy, proxies all of the requests. Mm-hmm. And then there's one file that just says, does the path match and does the method match? Mm-hmm. If so, send it to the Lambda. Okay, so it matches the path and sends it to the respective Lambda that needs to, to the, handle Well, not the Lambda, but the, the handler inside of code. Ah, okay. Essentially the correct JavaScript file. Yeah, so there's not multiple. Not the Lambda. Gotcha. There's only, right now there are four Lambdas that I deploy. Yep. So my deployment takes a minute mm. to complete. Mm. Whereas before, and this is including Webpack and everything else. Yeah. Whereas before nice. it was taking me like an hour just to wait for, it really it was just CloudWatch. CloudWatch like ticking away, being like, yeah, we're updating a log group, just hold on. CloudWatch, did that take so long? Sorry, not CloudWatch, Cloud CloudFormation. CloudFormation, yeah. yes. CloudFormation takes forever. Yeah, it does. It's the, it's the bottleneck in most serverless And it can get into uh, some weird states sometimes too. Where you Definitely. have to hop in, hop in there and fix things yourself. Because it, it actually has to have permissions. And then I've had, I've had issues where, and it doesn't really tell you, especially when in serverless the tool, mm. When there's a failure, it doesn't tell you like, oh, this stack had an error because it does not have permissions to delete this log yeah. group. It just says, could not delete, yeah. and, then, and then errors. Yeah. So, which has been a struggle. We've had services go down for that reason before. But now not, you've, not only us, got, but you've only got four lambdas to manage. It's pretty easy. It's pretty easy. And uh, there's only one stack that I really need. So we, re- we fixed the 200 resources cap, essentially. Uh, also, one of the biggest advantages is there's no cold start time, essentially. Mm. Only one request gets a cold start. Yeah. At another job, um, to avoid the cold start, uh, what's it called? Reserved concurrency? Oh, yeah. I don't remember what the actual uh, name of it is. There's two. The one is like it can only invoke this amount of uh, functions. Like you can set it to three and then it'll only invoke at most three at, at, at the same time. Mm. And then there's another one that will... Um, uh, like keep warm, essentially like keep a, a handler warm for you, yep. but you have to pay for it. So yep. it's essentially per, I think per Lambda function, it's like $4 a month yep. you're paying to keep it warm. Mm. So that would be $400 for keeping our service warm. Yeah. Which seems weird because I could just run but that. you probably wouldn't keep every, then you, you wouldn't keep every Lambda warm, but then you've got the you job do. of going you through. You want to though. If you want to make it super snappy. Yeah. 
because but maybe there's some yeah. lenders that don't get invoked all the time. Like, but even no, then, like maybe you, do you just do your main ones and then some of the other ones maybe you wouldn't worry about. But for the user experience, it's still like, oh, there's like a second where it has to bind yeah, to the VPC. Yeah, it's a bit of a trade-off. The E&I. If you so can, we, we if run you can mono lambda it and, that's true. and uh, avoid all that whole problem, then that's even better. So from our data, uh, previously, uh, when I would navigate through and no one had been on the, applic- on the platform, uh, we'd get probably about, Obviously, it started small, the cold start, and it was only like, oh, 200 milliseconds was like the base. And then as the application grew and more stuff was being done, uh, the cold start time increased. So we ended up getting up to about a second per request the first time, and then the subsequent ones were like 17 seconds. Um, But that feels slow because like if, if there's only one person on the system, like they click the user's page, it takes a second to yep, load and then right. a second to load the other one because then each page they go to is loading different endpoints. Mm. Um, so they're never really getting the advantage of until they do something really quick mm. because the AWS seems to discard the container after about 10 seconds of no use. Mm. But because we're doing this thing where there's only one Lambda handler. There's probably about 10 being warmed up for me if I'm the only user on, online. Yep. And then they're alive our response times went from about uh, you know 1.3 seconds to about 17 milliseconds. So, yeah, I raised the ticket to remove the loading spinner. Yeah, <laughs> we used to have <laughs> a spinner even- for like because you know there'd be like two requests and yeah. you don't want people to think that it's just dying. So you need to give the users that bit of feedback that stuff's happening. Yeah, but uh, now but now it's just like it's it, actually too fast. It's actually too. F- it looks ugly. Or we need to like increase the time that the spinner. I'll add a set timeout to add the set timeout. Yeah. <laughs> I'll do it in the API client. Actually, I've seen instances where people do that. If it's like too snappy, they'll slow it down a bit just so it looks it's like. That's true, it's yeah. So it looks like it's loading, loading it instead it. of just like popping all at once. Yeah. Because especially the spinner, if it doesn't get through the animation the whole way, it looks a bit ugly, doesn't it? I've also seen uh, in the front end if the spinner is displayed. So they, they render the um, spinner, but then they have a timeout so that after one second of having a blank screen, then you display the spinner, but you never just directly display the spinner. Ah, that's you know a good what I mean? idea. Yeah. yeah, so it like sort of fades in after yeah. one second to tell you, yes, something's happening. Oh, that's a good idea. Mm. And so that removes the like janky looking like spinner, 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 spinner. Yeah. yeah. That's what all the old um, Java like the enterprise Java apps look like because ah, yep. they're like the endpoints are fast, but then like all of the, the, like the front end stuff always has a spinner. Uh-huh. So there's, it's always like spin, 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 spin. <laughs> you can see them coming in. <laughs> yeah. Well, that way, you know, it's a good app. You've got all these spinners, so much data coming in. Yeah. So much work. What do you think about the mono Lambda? I love it. You love Sounds it? good to me. Yeah. Anything that's going to make the app faster and less work. Do you want to know the problems? Yeah, let's hear it. There's always trade-offs in software. Everything is trade-offs in software. Oh, actually, I'll tell you one more benefit because it's all benefits for me. <laughs> for us, it's pretty much only benefits. Yeah. The other benefit is now I don't need to go to, uh, I don't need to implement log aggregation. I don't need to make an Elasticsearch uh, yeah, cluster. Sure. Yeah. And I also don't need to um, use this thing called AWS uh, CloudWatch Insights, mm. which is like a relatively expensive platform for, because... All of, the, all of the lambdas have their own log groups. If you wanted to see where someone interacted, you have to like pick through all of the log groups and search them if mm-hmm. you want to do it the cheap way or the expensive way CloudWatch Insights makes you um, pay more to like read all of them at once. Uh-huh. GCP, super cheap for all this stuff. Yeah. Very upsetting AWS. Mm. CloudWatch is like your biggest expense in a lot of companies. What do we need to, oh, we should probably talk about this separately, but it'd be interesting to see if we swap to GCP what the pricing would what be. What the trade-offs are. Oh, the trade-offs. Yeah. I think you, it would be easier for everyone to understand the architecture. The function technology is not as good, but is it? It's newer. Yeah. It is good, but I would say that we would be using a different, we wouldn't be using the serverless stack. We would be using Cloud Run with Go. Ah. Yeah. yeah. Because Cloud Run with Go is like free forever. Oh, really? No, it's not actually, but... Yeah. It's, a, it's essentially you run a Docker container yeah. uh, and if it's in Go, then it will start and stop it just like serverless. Mm-hmm. So it's like a serverless container. You know how Heroku dynos do that as well? No. You remember like when you have the free tier of Heroku, it yeah. like has that cold start essentially. Ah, Same thing. Yeah, it's just yeah, a cold yeah. start. Yeah. Anyway, we'll one more about thing about one. mono lambdas. Yeah, tell me. Positive thing. Okay, so the positive thing was that I no longer have to search the different log groups 
I can pull all of the logs for all of the HTTP events in one go, one command, mm. and then I can just use grep or other tools. And it's super cheap because I'm literally just reading the log files. Mm. So I save quite a bit of money there. Mm. Um, and then the downside would be you don't get to set individual memory and CPU, but uh, we are not sure. at the point where that would matter. Like yep. you need to be, I don't even think that would matter if you had, yeah, I can't, I can't really see a point where I would need to do that. Actually, how many invocations can it handle? Concurrent. Yeah. A thousand. Yeah. Okay. Because that's the cap for AWS for us right now. So that would be a limiting factor too. Uh, if you had a thousand, once you get more than a thousand hard. users. It, also remember that it's, sorry, it's not a second. So we're doing 17 milliseconds and it's a thousand concurrent invocations. In that 17 milliseconds. Yeah. yeah gotcha. And it, it, it doesn't just error if it's over, it blocks. For it, us to, we would need more than the total population of Australia to be using our app. To, does it queue the response? Like, do they still get a response? It would, it would block, yeah. yeah. It would block and wait for uh, an available Lambda. So that's okay. Yeah. So it might, it might just increase the response time. That's right, yeah. But if you, we have different problems. Yeah. And let me tell you, if we have that many customers, we've got enough money to just <laughs> pay someone to <laughs> buy another Raspberry another, Pi. <laughs> yeah. But then also, like no, nothing that I've done. Uh, so at, at my last job, I was constantly moving like software between two different platforms. I had to move it between Kubernetes and then serverless and then onto EC2. So I'm just used to doing that. So I know exactly how to do that quickly. Ah, okay. So the whole thing is built in a way that it's uh, deployment environment uh, agnostic. Gotcha. Yeah. All right, so what's the bad things? Well, the CPU and memory, you can't scale that. And then also uh, for like determining which endpoint is slow, ah, that's, sure. that's pretty much, yep. you, you won't be able to just look at um, yeah the response times for a single lambda you'll only see like oh one of the invocations but you know this is this is a problem that again is not that big of a deal because um most companies also implement an apm which is like a application performance manager yep. yeah uh so then you so like can new see, relic you can see which responses take a long time so essentially which requests yeah. rather take a long time the way that i would think about it is that um, I'm just treating Lambda as a deployment for what I would normally run as a single process. Ah, yep. And that's like the easiest mental model for me. Mm -hmm. And it actually works better on Lambda. Yep. The default of like telling people to make a single Lambda for each HTTP handler feels... Well, what's the argument negative. that people like these uh, separate functions and, and some people like having the logs all separate per function? Well, they'd probably be in a microservice environment yeah. and they'd probably have very small services. Uh, and they do like, they open up the, the DynamoDB connection in every handler, yeah. like these sort of things. And they probably don't do that much testing. Mm. I, I don't, I don't, yeah. But then also, uh, the, like I said, you would combat the like memory and CPU usage tuning. Mm. If you actually needed to tune those specifically for a single endpoint, you would be able to. Does it help your testing at all? It could Ch very, does it it change, can very easily. Does it change the testing? It would make uh, testing easier because, because it's such a simple interface, just saying like if there's a path with this and this method route here, that's so simple. I can actually just, instead of running serverless offline, I can just run express, over, like rapid and express or rapid and node HTTP. And then that would replace and make the dev server Right now, because I'd made this change, the offline server was starting, how long did it take? About 10 minutes. And then there were memory yeah. leaks and Webpack and everything and people's yeah. computers were crashing. Yeah, that's me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we actually lost a podcast episode because of that. Yeah. And then um, now that we've merged them all into one, it takes all of about one minute. If I were to wrap that again inside of like just Express and TS Node, it'd probably boot almost instantly. Mm. So... Not not an optimization that I care to do, but yeah, no. we've got enough work to do. Yeah, do that later. Yeah. Do that in your spare time. I know you like, but saving a full second off of all the responses. Over, that's good. Yeah, that's awesome. With the work of a day, it's worth uh, investigating for your company. If anyone's listening, mm. think about whether or not you actually need all those separate. Also, you pay for CloudWatch alarms. You know, so if you want to alert on, you can't alert on four xx status for a single function anyway, mm. without having an alarm. Hook, hook to it, which is like, what, $2. Mm. You have 100 of those, $200. It mm. seems like a waste for the company. Ah. Yeah. I didn't know you could do that. Mm. So what you can, in CloudWatch, you can set... Do you know alarms? CloudWatch alarms? No, I haven't heard of that. No. Oh, okay. That's what we get in the, you know, the alerts channels? Yeah. Those are all CloudWatch alarms. Oh, right. Yeah. Is so that a new feature? 
No, it's old. It's all it? ancient. Yeah. Oh, I've never used it. So you can use any metric and you can say if it goes above this. So there's a graph. Yep. Have you did you have you used any like observability tools like Grafana elsewhere? Or yeah. yeah. So if you see a Grafana, you know how you can say like it's a graph and then it shows like a red line and then if it goes above that line, it alerts. Ah, uh, yeah. It's the same thing in CloudWatch. Yep. It's just AWS built this feature years and years and years ago. So it's very clunky. Uh, and hard to understand. Yeah. Whereas Grafana is like two clicks. People love Grafana. I love Grafana, mm. but I'm not hosting it. It's all part of Elastic, isn't it? No, I don't think so. No, Grafana is not related. Kibana is. Kibana, that's the one. Kibana is the of. logs like uh, right. front end, or sorry, the searching front end. But people use Grafana with Kibana. No, oh, uh, I have used all three, Elastic, Kibana and Grafana. I feel like they built to go with each other. Uh, Grafana can do the stuff that Kibana does to a lesser degree. So uh, yeah, it, I guess it depends, yeah. Depends. They do work well together though. Mm. Yeah. But you, know, you would normally hook Grafana directly up to Elastic, not to directly to um, Kibana. I don't think that, I don't know if there is an integration, but I doubt it. But it's funny. Because uh, it's a front end. Yeah. But to go back to what we were originally saying with the AppSync stuff and the GraphQL, it's funny that we've gone down this path uh, you know, the traditional kind of tools that work using those kind of things. And then, you know, you've been able to make these improvements. The stack's going pretty good now. But in hindsight, it's probably the right choice to make. If we went down the AppSync and GraphQL path, you probably wouldn't have been able to make all these yeah. optimizations. Every stand-up I'd just be complaining <laughs> about velocity <laughs> templates. <laughs> You can practically hear my whiny, <laughs> my whiny nasally voice. Oh, fucking velocity templates. And I don't know how to do this. And I, why did AWS do this to me? The pain would have been directed at me because I've, I was the one who's like, hey, James, do you want yeah. to use AppSync? What do you think? Yeah. Because I was, I was uh, on Jan Kiwi's Twitter and he, I, I seen him use it for a fair few projects. Yeah. And he was saying how good it was. But I think it, he's paid to do that though. He must be, or he's like a, he must be an advocate for it. Yeah. For some way because he talks about it a lot and when we done the uh like you done a spike on it yeah and then you you like you seen the limitations yeah like a lot of workarounds required at that point still any of these things that promise to solve all of your problems tend to require a lot of workarounds <laughs> and don't actually solve any of your problems <laughs> they solve the problem that you had like day one and then after that they just start fucking you so anyway. yeah. <laughs> at least if you stick with the tried and trust tried and tested methods someone might have solved a problem similar to what you've, you're yep. trying to solve. Yep. It's been so, like Postgres been around so long. Even serverless is a little bit of like a new technology. I was not sure if I actually wanted to do this. Yep. I was tempted to just start an EC2 instance because mm. that's an even, it's, it's just that it, like in a way it's a simpler, serverless is simpler in a way, mm. but then it's complex in other ways. Yeah. But um, yeah, the, the AppSync stuff is... Uh, we haven't really explained, but it's just using like this cloud vendor locked in technology and then these things get hyped and then people use them and then they cut themselves very deeply and then the technology is, is said to be horrible and evil, you know. <laughs> just like there, there are use cases like small apps where you know that you won't have complex logic coming into play. Mm. But, um, or if you just had like, you have a database table, a DynamoDB table, and you just want to render that somewhere. Maybe yeah. AppSync is a good solution. Mm. But uh, as soon as you get, there's, I've I've watched a lot of videos about it as well. The the development process and people who've started using it, and uh, it doesn't seem like it turns out well after the the fifth month. And then, um, well, when we were looking at it, you had to use Velocity templates, but I think they've changed it now. You can use JavaScript, JavaScript, can't you? Mm. So that's one improvement. You can back it by lambdas as well, but. You lose so much control with these things. Mm. I feel like as a startup, you want transactions. Yep. <laughs> you want uh, some amount of reliability in the data. Because like um, a lot of this stuff, a lot of these tools are built for eventual consistency and everything. Mm. Uh, and they're meant to not display everything as it is up to date and like have a bit of lag and a little bit of untrusted data maybe. Yep. At the, at, and you get a little bit more performance out of it. And that's what matters at a very large scale. But um, for smaller companies, you can't afford to like pay someone to own that flow mm. 
and actually make sure that there is, it's not possible for someone to get into an invalid state. Mm. We had an, I worked with an eventually consistent database and a system that was eventually consistent, partially. And uh, because we were a relatively small company, we didn't have anyone looking after those flows. And what happens is it just goes to the support team and then some, like the developers have to manually go in the database and uh, pick stuff up. Yeah. Yeah. All of these things that are like these mutations from, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's a great idea. But the... Um, Atlassian can probably use it if they want. Ah, uh, yeah. I doubt they would though. But it, like, okay, AppSync is a, a managed GraphQL kind of service. But I, I was looking at, uh, you could do the same kind of option with your mono lambda. You could just wrap an express server with a... GraphQL. A Pulse, Apollo server. GraphQL. Apollo server. What's Apollo? Does, does you know, Apollo, Apollo have a ser- server? Apollo server, yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. I haven't, I've only used a Relay, React Relay. Oh, okay. And GraphQL Ruby. So. Yeah. And then a brief spike on GraphQL node. I'm pretty sure Apollo server, you use it with Express and you just wrap your Express app. Yeah. And it turns your Express app into a GraphQL server. I don't like that. No. <laughs> yeah. But like, it's pretty much the same thing. Yeah. And then you've got full control. And you don't have to deal more with control. It. More control. GraphQL still puts a lot of control elsewhere. Ah, yeah, sure. You know what's interesting? Uh, there's this YouTuber I watch sometimes called, uh, I think his name's Ben Awad. Oh, yeah, you I heard watch, of him? Yeah, he's good. Yeah, yeah. He, he was talking about his um, list of technologies he wanted to work with in yeah. 2021. And he yeah. did a review of what he worked on in 2020. Yeah. And he was saying, and I agree completely, um, that he, he started the year like wanting to do GraphQL and he did as much GraphQL as he could. And then as his apps grew, he realized, fuck, <laughs> maybe I should have just gone with rest yeah. and then I would have had more control. Yeah. You give all of the control, you're inverting control to the client, mm. which is like not ideal. It yeah. opens up a whole bunch of potentially risky security concerns, mm. uh, opens up a whole bunch of concerns around performance and what people can do, whether or not they can drop your server instantly with a query. Actually, his his stack was pretty similar to our one, Postgres. That's his um, React yeah. TypeScript. His, his stack is Postgres, React, and TypeScript, which yeah. is our stack. Yeah, I don't know if he's doing a a mono a monolith. Oh, sorry, uh, what do you what do you call it? The mono repo. That's right. I think he deploys a server. He runs an actual server. I, I literally watched that that video. Yeah. Uh, in the shower and I just yelled like, you're fucking, <laughs> you're copying me, stop it. <laughs> well, he got out first, so you're copying him, I know, obviously. that's true. Too late to the- No, I've been working on TypeScript, uh, React Postgres apps for a while. Yeah, but if it's not, actually on, Angular if it's not on the internet, it didn't actually happen. That's true. You know? Well, it is on the internet. All my apps now are on is, the internet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just only talking, it's only in uh, social media now. But I think his, his most latest app, he used Elixir. Mm. Yeah, he, it, it was on his list of things he wanted to learn, but yeah. He said Elixir's good. He's liking Elixir. He said that about GraphQL too, though. Ah, true. Yeah. I just don't trust people who try new technologies. <laughs> At all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I try a lot of new technologies. Just, I think, like, just spike them and just use them for, like, a toy project and then just go back to the shit that, you know, is going to work all the time. I, I've tried a lot of technologies, actually. Mm. I, I know I, I talk about not using new stuff, but I, I just play with it and then yeah. I just pull it down and I see what happens. Well, it's but, good to um, know what's going on. You need to be aware of these things. Yeah. Otherwise, how, how are you supposed to navigate the, the current environment? Yeah. You need to know what's out there and yeah. what you might come across. And you need to be able to tell people why they're wrong more yeah. importantly. Yes. <laughs> I can see your, this is I can my see where, actual, where your actual motives come from now. When people are like, we should use Kafka. That was, that, that was why Fuck I you. Kafka. I was like, this is shit. <laughs> Have you actually, and you know what? The person who told if, me if to use Kafka had Kafka, never used it. You can't it. say it's shit. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, you have to do that spike just so you can, I can have the argument. Have you actually used it? If you need to start four Docker containers to run a service, it's not right for your company. <laughs> Yet. We should do a, a Google search on, on uh, how many Sydney jobs are looking for Kafka now. I've found, I come across one. It's, if you didn't have to manage it, if you used one of the managed services and your company's willing to shell out the bucks for that, it, it could probably be okay. Yeah. But, yeah. But you still hate it. I still hate it. <laughs> I've been burned too many times. But this comes, uh, you brought up this topic before, delaying the unchangeable uh, decisions. Yeah. Who said that? I think I read it in a uh, 
So I think uh, the the context is I was reading a, a Martin Fowler blog post. Martin at Fowler, some point. yeah, yeah, Flower, Flower, yeah. Martin Flower, yeah, yeah, <laughs> Martin Fowler actually, yeah, like the bird. Uh, and he 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 was talking about system design, and he said that the like the the peak of like good system design is a design that uh, delays uh, answering questions for as long as possible. Mm. If you can design a system that uh, you can change later, that's the ideal. I love that. Yeah, I've been thinking like that for a while. I, I didn't like I've had that idea in my brain, but I've never actually like surfaced it and spoke about it. But when you said it just made like, the like it might dropped. be better to do something that's more complex if it lets you wait to answer a question mm. or even the, the inverse. Typically it's that you're doing something simpler yes. and waiting for the time when you actually have to answer that question. Yeah. Well, we've done that with GraphQL. We're like, do we actually need it? No. So let's just go along without it. And, and also, good. how do we migrate away from GraphQL? Yeah. Because I was just thinking about like the times that I've used it. The, the good thing about API client is that I was able to keep everyone <laughs> in line, sort of. <laughs> like, you may use the API like this, and that is the What's extent. API client for people who haven't uh, So I wrote, when we started this, we, we, um, we made a TypeScript monorepo, and then instead of just having like, oh, these are the endpoints, I wanted um, to have... Uh, a typed interface. So we had full advantage of TypeScript between the API and the front end. Uh, so that way, you know, compile time safety. Yeah. So API client wraps all of the rest and it turns them into like what, what are called like restful DTOs, but they're like validated, validated objects. It's a bit like making a um, RPC server as well. So in the front end, we just use the client and when we need data, we leverage the client's yeah. methods and get the data into the front end. Yeah. And the errors and everything as well aren't just like status codes. I think that's another thing that's quite interesting is that oh, it we handles don't do all the errors. Yeah, it well, it's not that it it, it like teleports the errors in a way. Yeah, it doesn't the front end, it doesn't like throw RPC. Errors. Yeah, yeah, but it also like it wraps the errors into the type that they are. So like if you want to handle an invalid session, you you don't just say oh is the status four hundred one and is the message this string. Yep. You say is it an instance of the invalid session? Yeah, that's error. actually nice. Yeah. Instance of. Yeah. It's a good tool. Yes, classes. Classes. <laughs> Frank is very scared of classes. <laughs> I really like classes. It's just uh, when you're doing front end code, you don't always get a chance to, to use them. Do some Angular. Oh, yeah. Well, you're, we'll you're need an to Angular do some fan. Angular. Yeah. I should do a spy. I did start reading Angular docs. I think if I um, want to just do a bit of you a, used it, you might like it. The thing is, React is the easier one to understand. Yeah. But then Angular is the like if you're building a large application, Angular is probably going to be better off for you. Yeah. Anything that's more kind of componentized than organized, I don't mind a little bit of um, uh, convention over configuration. There's definitely a lot of convention in Angular. I don't mind that. Sometimes I like people telling me what to do. You know, you write it like this. We actually, what was it we were talking about? We're, there was some service I was using that, oh, create React app. Mm. Fuck create React <laughs> app. <laughs> That's the new title of the episode. They, yeah, uh, you, you said the other day, you're like, Wait, that, what the hell happened to convention over config? What did you say? I can't remember. What happened to, so the, like the, the whole Rails thing and something that's like echoed across lots of software products is that we support uh, convention over configuration. Mm. But Rails still let you configure things. Like there were escape hatches in every yeah. in every door. Yeah. Create React app is like <laughs> there is no there is only convention. Yeah. There will be no configuration. Yeah. There was like a an a, a issue for like uh, can we not add Jest or can we add an option oh, to disable they Jest? They wanted Mocha, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, which is what I wanted as well. Yeah. And then the response was, no, we use Jest and <laughs> close issue. <laughs> like, oh, that's great. You don't like it? Goodbye. Yeah. A lot of people use Next.js now. It's getting a lot of traction. Is that that's not a front end though? Is yeah. It? Oh, Next.js, not Nest. Next. Why'd yeah. they have to do that? Well, running ahead of package names, then, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the good ones are taken. So is Nest.js meant to run with Next.js? I'm sure they're you good could, friends. You could if you wanted to. Yeah. But they're not. Uh, they're not aligned in any way. No. But yeah, a lot of people use Next. I don't know if it's more configurable or not, but I know a lot of people really like it. Mm. A lot of big companies. I don't know it anything now. about it. I'm not really a, I'm not much of a front end person. 
I like the old. Next is server-side rendered framework to build React apps. Right. Mm. Oh, it's a framework. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Bit of convention there. Convention is good. Mm. They probably let you configure it. Create React apps an- answer is like, just eject. Eject, eject yeah. is like, <laughs> stop using this framework. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't like it, fuck you. <laughs> Actually, this is probably how I would build a system. <laughs> to be there. <laughs> I can see myself in create React apps design, <laughs> anti-user design. If you eject it, does like just expose the Webpack config and it just expose all the config files? Is that what it does? Yeah. You'd be disgusted at how many dependencies are in oh, that. Really? I actually ejected it just to see. Yeah. Something like 80 or 60 direct dependencies, prod yeah. dependencies. Yeah. It's the way of JavaScript life. Fuck. I, uh, I, I, when I did that monolambda thing, I, specific, I started with Express and then I was like, let me look at actual, Express's actual implementation. Yeah. Um, and then, fuck, it's massive. Mm. It's actually huge. There's like uh, 30 dependencies. Mm. So... It must be, uh, like you must need those depend- dependencies maybe. No, but the thing is when you, build a, when you build a library for public consumption, you have to handle all of the use cases, right? So it becomes tragedy of the commons. Ah, right. So every, like each person needs different stuff. So as everyone takes, like they need this feature, you add that feature, mm-hmm. then the software gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Even though it's a great framework. Yeah. Yeah. And then the new one comes out, which is a little bit slimmer and does things a little bit different. A little bit and then, prettier. And then everyone hair. moves over to that one. Yeah. Yeah. If you're into that kind of thing. I mean, I literally just did like string match and another string match. Is, that a pa- is there a package for doing that? Is there a package for paths? The only matching? thing I did was path matching. I didn't Is there a package like, for that? Or? Yeah. So I did path matching and then I literally just do if lowercase method is equal to lowercase method. Uh-huh. So. Well, that's all you need really. Mm. And then you own it. Configure right. it however you want. That's right. And if I want, I can go to Express. But Mi- I, migrate forward if you need to. Yeah, I don't need to add another 30 dependencies plus their 900 other sub-dependencies. That's right. Yeah. But even um, other things we've kind of been delaying as well is like the whole security side of things like the NAT gateway and the WAF. WAF. Don't say we're de- delaying security. I, I don't like that. I mean, the, <laughs> thing, bad terminology. the thing that's at the forefront of our... Uh, the forefront of our next ambition. <laughs> <laughs> not, um, we're making the I platform delaying, better. I said forefront, didn't I? <laughs> that is not the way to inspire confidence. Don't say that in a meeting. <laughs> nah, we're delaying the security feature. No, we're not doing that. No, it's... We've um, got security, but we're delaying the choice of which uh, yeah. AWS service we're going to implement. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. We uh, actually we do use NAT Gateway. We run our um, all of our lambdas inside of a VPC, a private uh, subnet. Okay, that's nice. Yeah. So the NAT Gateway Network Address Translation is that what it stands for? That's right. Yeah. So when you've it, done networking, oh, a little. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the look on your face says no. I've dabbled. <laughs> yeah. Essentially, it's just like. Um, you know how when you're at home and uh, you have two computers and they both have two different IPs, mm-hmm. like you have like uh, 192.168.0.2 yep. and then the other one's .3, yep. right? Yep. Uh, to the outside world, those IP addresses are being used by like 400,000 computers yep. at that point. Uh, so there's that, that's like your private mm-hmm. addresses. And then you need something to sort of give, when it accesses the internet, mm-hmm. you need to have an IP address for... Uh, packets to come back to. Mm. So a NAT gateway is sort of like the thing that manages translating your, uh, that's why it's address translation, Mm. network address translation, translating the public IP that like Google sends the packets back to and receives packets from, and then it translates the IP to the internal one that's hidden. It doesn't, like your your laptop right there does not have a singular uh, IP address. It, It uses whatever our current like, NAT gateway is as sure. its IP. So that's what we do as well. But even on top of that, doesn't NAT gateway actually do another layer of translation to actually mask some of the IP addresses in case they get ex- like the pub- even the public kind of IP address, doesn't it mask some of that so a hacker can't nefariously uh, ping an IP address or not really? I thought it done some kind of magic where it like... It's doing one extra layer of... Maybe what you're thinking of is... Okay, so uh, NAT Gateway, the reason why we use it is because 
the lambdas are being run in a private subnet. Yep. And a private subnet doesn't have a public IP for anything. Yep. So they, the, these lambdas are running, their network interfaces yep. can't talk to the outside world. Yep. They don't have a public IP, so they can send packets um, technically, mm. but they'll just bet, like they'll never be able to hit anything. Mm. They'll just bounce. Yep. Uh, because there's no return address or anything. Sure. Essentially. Mm. Well, it'll, anyway, it's technical. Mm. But um, uh, in order to let those communicate mm. outside, you have to put the NAT, NAT gateway right. on the edge of the private and then set up a route to that NAT gateway. Uh-huh. Right? So that means you already, it's not possible for anyone to ping our, our Lambda ENIs. Do you actually have to give IP addresses to the lambdas or is it just part of the configuration that you say these lambdas are in the network? And Have you heard of a subnet? Do you know what a subnet is? Like yeah, a, kind of. Yeah. 255, 255, it's 255. Like a, it's like a CIDR block, which is like a, a set of IP addresses. You yep. say within this subnet, you can have these 4,000 private IP addresses, ad, IP addresses yep. and then the the which IP address they're mapped to doesn't matter. I don't care. Oh, so, um, it's dynamic. So the side you just... You put the subnet inside the NAT gateway and then it... The opposite. Uh, well, sort of the opposite. Okay. And then the, it dynamically assigns IP addresses... A private IP address. ...within that uh, range. There's only one public IP address. Yeah. Yeah. So it's called an EIP, EIP Elastic IP, Internet, Internet Product. Yeah. So there, there is an EIP that we assign to the NAT gateway and there will only ever be that one public IP. But no traffic can come like... This is actually something that I hate about the NAT gateway in AWS is that you can't actually have traffic come in through the the NAT gateway. Mm. Like if you want to set your VPN or something to come through the NAT gateway, not possible. So where do the API gateways sit then in that model? Outside. They're they're not even in. Right. Like that's AWS's thing. When when you like look up their... um, Also, it depends on the configuration of the API gateway because there's like what edge and, you know, regional and whatever. Yeah. So wherever API gateway is, it's in invoking them. And it uses AWS's stuff. So when the API gateway receives a request, it then forwards it to the relevant Lambda, but it has to go through the NAT gateway first, right? I think it calls like an invoke. Like it, it uses everything in AWS has like a resource and like a permission. So yep. the API gateway has to have permissions to invoke the Lambda, mm. but then it calls the invoke. You know how you can call it AWS... Uh, Lambda invoke mm. manually on the command line. Yep. It's a, I think they use sort of the same thing. Uh-huh. It's like a it's like an HTTP request uh, to right, okay. whatever resource server is that AWS uses. I don't know that much about the internals of it, but that's essentially based on the way that you get errors if it doesn't have access to the Lambda. That would be my assumption of how it's implemented. Mm. Yeah. So then, okay, so that takes care of that. What about the um, the WAF? The WAF sounds like that popular song. Do you, do you know what it stands for? This is a TLA. Play the music. <laughs> Wet ass firewall. Wet ass firewall. I'm hoping my mom's not listening to this. <laughs> Web <laughs> application firewall. That's right. Yes, <laughs> that's that's very good. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so there's like a list of things that um, these uh, vendors that we want to use uh, want us to do. There's like a list of uh, security steps they want us to take. Yeah. Most of them are just like it makes sense if you're an old school business and you are like running piece together vendor software. Change your password every week. Yeah. All all that sort of stuff. They have those sort of policies that we have to adhere to if we want to use them. Yeah. And um, yeah, one of them is that uh, they want a like, I think they want like a DDoS protection system, which is weird. I don't know why they want that. They want to keep our system up. And then also they want something that guarantees that SQL injection can't happen, but not within the application itself. Mm. They actually want like uh, like a, a, an application firewall. They also want the ability to filter. Hold IPAs. on, how do, you, how do you prevent SQL injection not in the application? There's, um, well, that's what AWS, so there's like a pattern. So like if you see drop table users, semicolon drop kit table users. Oh, it actually yeah. looks in the. So WAF is a L7. So oh, it's so it's actually, an application firewall yeah. on the application layer. Yeah. Wow. So it's an, it's an L7. Right. Uh, 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 firewall yep, system, sure, and uh, you can write custom rules for it. So you can oh, say wow. block Russia, yeah, right, which is something we might do yeah. very easily. Okay, yeah, well, it makes uh, sense. We don't have a lot of the bad. We should probably bro- block everyone outside of Australia. Really? Well, I don't know if someone's on a VPN, yep. but yeah, mm. potentially. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
And then also you don't know if someone owns a business outside of the country. Sure. Uh, okay. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. We'll see. Yeah. But, uh, but when, it's there. You yeah. can use it. Yeah. And then also there's a way to say, oh, if you're getting too many bad requests from one specific IP mm. or if... So a common way to tell if there's a bot hitting your system is if they look for uh, slash PHP dash my admin, yep. which is the like MySQL admin dashboard, which is like yep. a lot of people forget to change the root password on sure. it. So like they just hit every domain name yep. and just try and find that. So if you get a request, then you know it's going to be if a If they're looking a bad for PHP my admin, they're yep. not an actual user. Yep. Like <laughs> the chances are so... <laughs> impossible so it's reasonable to block that IP yeah. from then on yeah. or a range of IPs based mm-hmm. on that um, and then also another interesting thing that I was reading about um, but I probably wouldn't use is that WAF can uh, take the it can ins- because it can fully inspect the content of your request it has a system and this is something we needed in another company but I didn't realize WAF did this and we actually we were on GCP so whatever mm-hmm. but um, if there is user data that is sensitive and you don't want the and you don't trust your application code, mm. you can tell WAF if you see a field, for example, TFN. Mm. You could, if you provide a uh, private key to AWS WAF, it will encrypt the TFN, mm. so you'll get like a hash or however it in, encrypts it, yep. and then send it to your application code. Nice. And your it's called like tokenization, yep. and then you use that token inside of the app. And right. then when you send that a response back, if it has an encrypted field that's called TFN, for yeah. example, it will decode that at the wow. L7 firewall. That is so layer. good. So it's quite interesting. That's awesome. So it's very useful for larger that. companies. Yeah. yeah. And um, that's actually great. It is, yeah. The only way you get the TFN, you don't have to risk like uh, exposing it anywhere in your application. You have to think about what the consequences of that are, yeah. right? So what are the other consequences? We wouldn't be able to sync outwards to the ATO. Right, so uh, that wouldn't sure. work for our use case, yeah. Yeah. but for other systems, you yeah. can imagine where there might be something. Uh, I don't know if this makes you PCI compliant, but I maybe technically you could accept a credit card number yeah. and then display it back to the user sure. if you use this WAF. Yeah. I don't know what the it, it, no, it's but, part yeah, of I a system that yeah. could allow that to be PCI compliant. Yeah, that's awesome. And then also uh, on the back end of that, you'd, you'd have to make a dashboard if you need to actually view it as like an administrator where you would get access to a public key to be able to decrypt and view the data. So does WAF have uh, some fairly standard and smart defaults? Like when you turn it on, does it automatically do a lot of these, like the PH, not the PHP one, but like, uh, is there some smart ones that it just does out of the box that it knows it should be doing? I've only ever used ones that are already configured Ah, and then attached to them. Um, But uh, yes, I would assume so. Hmm. That's what's advertised down in the box. Ah, Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because when I started researching it, I'm like, why do you need a, uh, a firewall for your AWS application? I thought, shouldn't AWS just do all this out of the box and now it makes sense because it's application layer. You probably don't want to be doing um, IP filtering. So how do you filter on an IP address in our current system? Yeah, does AWS do that by standard? In, no. Okay. If they saw abuse, I yeah. suppose technically they could block it from all AWS services. Yep. If they knew which one was the, you know, yep. Russian voter fraud <laughs> organization, maybe they'll block that. Yep. But uh, no, AWS Gateway by default, I don't think has that system. Mm. So inside of the application, I would need to load the app and then check the IP and check if it's within a CIDR range that I've listed of blocked IPs. So yep. it makes more sense for that to be handled at the firewall level. What about... Um all the firewalls that operate on like layer four. Yeah. Does AWS have those? Like, does it block some of those kind of? Does it have a firewall yeah. at layer Must. four? I don't know. Oh, okay. Uh, sort of. Yes. Uh, so, you know, security groups, how you can say like, do you know what a security group is? Mm. Yeah, of course I know what a security <laughs> group is, but for everyone at home who's so listening. F- yes, of course. <laughs> 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 Only for the people at home. Yeah. Uh, when you have a like an EC2 instance, yep. you can give it a, a security group, yeah. and you can say uh, only allowed traffic on port 80 coming from this. Oh, sure, IP. yeah, of so course. So that would yep. be the yep. equivalent. Yep. I don't think they would call it. Yep, it is a firewall. If you look at it, if you squint, mm. they don't call it a firewall. Yep. I don't think. Okay. Mm. It is essentially a firewall, but you like a, apply it based on tags. Yep. You could say allow port 22 and 10, 1080 if it's a yep. SSH and mail server. Is WAF expensive? 
Uh, I don't think it's super expensive. I think it's probably like 50 bucks a month. Mm. I'm a fan now after you yeah. gave me all that info. I like it. Mm. I'm excited to use it. I believe the only way to attach it to API gateway is to route it, is to uh, hook it up to cloud uh, front, cloud front. Yeah. Right. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. So that means that you have to configure that as well, but yeah. We, we've already configured CloudFront. Yeah, I was going to say, we've got CloudFront now. Do you remember we? we had that bug with CloudFront? What was it? <laughs> Fucking AWS. <laughs> they, uh, AWS, when we started the project, when we were trying to get out to prod, so we started the non-prod account and yep. we were able to make, this, I think we needed three CloudFront instances yep. or two. Yeah, only two. Yeah. And it was fine, non-prod, fine. We have a separate account for, we have like an air-gapped like prod and non-prod environment. Yep. And uh, the non-prod one, it was fine with us making two CloudFront gateways, but then, or whatever, CloudFronts. Mm. And then uh, in prod, I could only make one. And then yep. it was like, sorry, you've reached your quota. Yeah. We may suspect you of something. Yeah, stop so. being uh, nefarious. Yes, they're concerned that I might make a CDN and I don't know. <laughs> so what do you have to do? Lodge your... Ticket to get it lifted I had to or something? Upgrade us to business class. Support. Oh, business class. That's right, because they didn't answer my ticket <laughs> <laughs> and we needed it out. Yeah. So, I, the, when we started, there were so many emails going back and forth between AWS for stuff that was silly. But we're there now. That's right. Hopefully, I never have to talk to AWS again. I'm sure that won't be the case. Talking to AWS is a failure of process. <laughs> Actually, that's true. They've failed. If you have to actually get in touch with them, they've failed. That's right. Shouldn't even have to get to that stage. They should have some kind of smarts or system in place to be able to handle these kind of things. I'm sure it's not the first time and it won't be the last time. No. But I hope they don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no one from AWS. I'm sorry, people who work at AWS. I'm yeah, sure we're gonna get, great. We're going to get banned from the platform. No, no, no. They, uh, they, They're going to do a Create React app. You know what? Just you say, boys just eject from AWS. They're like the founders. You know? They're like sort of one of the founders of uh, modern cloud platform so you yep. can't really be that upset with them but no they do make some no i'm not gonna uh, try to say something nice <laughs> <laughs> i'm not gonna be mean <laughs> Jeez, that's quite hard for you yeah oh wow okay it's <laughs> a good critique on my character no I, what i'm saying is like you know if you're actually trying to say something nice it's coming from a good spot it is but uh the only other issue with the all, all the aws stuff is the caching Caching. Oh yeah, we had a comment on Discord. Yeah, juggling Jason. Jumping Jason's Jumping maybe. Jumping Jason. I think, yes. Who was talking on about- On our Discord channel. How he's doing some uh, caching. Read the- Five to 15 minutes. Read it out. Wait, you want me to read it directly? Yeah, yeah. No, I can't. You have to. Do you want to read it? Yeah, give it to me. All right, I'll give it to you. Here you go. This is your shout out, Where Jumping Jason's. It? Yeah, Jumping Jason's. This, you get a free readout if you comment on a Discord, by the Ju way. It is juggling, Jason. Oh, juggling. I'm yeah, sorry. I had it right the first time. <laughs> um, hey, exclamation mark. Exclamation mark. First of all, it's not only your mum's, I'm getting you a beer to hear the next burp. I'm, I'm guessing, and a smiley face, I'm guessing that's relating to you burping into the microphone I, drinking beer. That was like episode two, so I'm surprised anyone listened to that. <laughs> You've made sanding rooms feel like a carnival for me. So huge kudos to you guys. Oh, thanks. The first one I've listened to is about serverless, where you mentioned... Not much stuff on the wacky ways to work with it. So here are some. And then he lists a few articles. Yeah. About... Um, I think it was abuse of... So preventing abuse, which mentions yep. WAF actually in there. All you need to know about caching for serverless applications. That's a burning monk one. That's our friend Jan Kui. Yes. We do love him. Mm. Even though we hate him. And then he goes on to say, what I am doing is memoizing expensive database trips the same way. This of it as eventual consistency between five to 15 minutes. Think of it. Tongue yes. poking yeah. out. Yes, tongue poking out, exclamation point. Anyway, keep it up guys, your exponential growth continues. Thanks juggling Jason. Wow, it isn't only my mother listening. Hear that mom? <laughs> I'm a big deal mom. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what do you reckon? About caching. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've got some opinions. Is that surprising? <laughs> no. <laughs> you with an opinion? No. Uh, yeah, my my opinion with uh, caching is just uh, make sure you keep it, you know, as far forward or as far back as possible. Yeah, right. Don't put it halfway through. Ah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, 
there's like uh, caches in the middle, like uh, Nginx, the Nginx reverse proxy varnish, like that sort of thing. Like Redis, would you consider that? That's a cache, that's, that's pretty far back. That's yeah. like in the application tier. Okay. A lot of companies when they start doing caching, um, uh, I've disagreed with some decisions because the caching, with caching is hard, especially in, you always fuck yourself with caching. Mm. It's not possible not to cut yourself. Yep. And it's not possible to make someone see the exact right thing if you're caching. Yep. But the best approximation of what you can do for caching is uh, keeping it either in the client, the cache, or keeping it in the actual application tier. Mm-hmm. Because if you, you have three, for example, let's say we have- well, Hold um, on, where else are you going to keep it if it's not in the client or the application? In like the, That's where a lot of companies cache is like at the HTTP endpoint level. Ah, We both were somewhere, we won't say where, but okay. that, that had that. Right. I don't know how that turned out for them, probably yeah. fine. Mm. Actually, no, I know there was a caching issue with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that caused them quite some pain. But um, the- Ah, oh, Nginx when, proxy. Yeah, when you do it halfway through, you have to consider a cache needs to be busted occasionally. Yeah. Um, actually, you know what the best place is that that company that we were talking about uh, secretly uh, used cache, like caching, is in Postgres. So literally as far back as you can get. Yep. So materialized views saved them like, do you remember that? They they went from having a reporting query go from- Oh, that's three right. Mi- from three days It was 18 or hours or something and yeah. then it went to three minutes. It was, yeah, it was like a, it was more than a 24 hour process, I'm pretty sure. They yeah, would like yeah. set, set this process off to run and then it would it Run on back. this little computer and then it'd come back and yeah, yeah whatever. But then they had- I was impressed when they'd done that. Like, yeah, yeah, we've cut it back from- That was one of the reasons why I focused so much on Postgres. Ah. Because I was like, if you can get that out of the database, then I'm sticking there. Yeah. Yeah. That's always a big flex when you go into the stand-up and you tell everyone you cut it back by. That's right. I cut, shaved the whole, all I did was shave a second off our response times. This guy shaved <laughs> almost a day. <laughs> so just flop that on the table. He was the hero of the, se- <laughs> of the, hero of the company for that day. Yeah. Wow. Very, very agile. Very he was getting lifted up on everyone's shoulders. There was champagne. Yeah. I Confetti think, um, cannon. so jumping Jason's was, ta- I don't know what his, um, uh, he, he said that he's trying to- prov- Juggling prevent- Jason's. Jug- juggling Jason's. Yep. I'm so sorry. This is, <laughs> I'm actually very dumb with names. I literally cannot remember That's names. Right, I'll correct you. I don't, I didn't even know your name for the first like three months <laughs> that we knew each other, Frank. I just said, hey you. <laughs> That's always a good one. But I think he was saying that he was trying to prevent uh, expensive database lookups. Yeah. And so- maybe the best place to do that would be in the database if you're doing that. And he even said he's expecting it to be five to 10 minutes. There's all, sort of way, uh, all sorts of different ways to do that in the database. How do you do it in Postgres? It. There's different ways. So that, materialized views is one, which would be- Is that the views that we were talking about the other day or is that different? It's Okay, so remember views. Yep. Views are like a select statement yes. that is like turned into, it looks like a table to an outside viewer. Is that called a Postgres view? That's that, called a view. Yeah. It's not only in Postgres. Okay, Even sure. Cassandra has them. Sure. Um, but imagine that, but instead of running the query every time you look at it, you save it. Yep. And then you can rebuild it. Yep. That is a materialized view. So it's like a cached view. So it actually gotcha. becomes, in terms of the data stored on Postgres, it is the same yep. in a lot of ways. And I'm pretty sure you can even index columns on materialized views. Okay. So you can make a B But you don't have to run make. the, it's just the saving the Result output of, of the, the query. query yeah. As a table sort of, but nice. without you needing to know that it's happening. And then how, how does that run? How, what triggers that? There's a command, it's something, I think it's refresh or something. You have to, so you have to come figure out when you want it to refresh. Right. It's not automatic. Yep. It'd be nice if it was automatic. I don't, I'm sure new, new Postgres version probably does that. Sure. The uh, version nine that I used did not have that. Yep. Uh, <clears throat> there's another option, which is uh, triggers. People yep. always hate triggers, but triggers are great. Mm. Uh, so you can say when you can keep a cache table uh, yep. insert date, use a trigger to say when, it, de- when data is inserted into this table, also insert it into the cache. And then if you have something that should invalidate that cache row, mm. so for example, like, okay, we have users and products. Mm. Maybe we delete a user. That should invalidate the product. Ah, uh, yeah, sure. Right? And yep. it should delete that cache. Yep. Then we can keep a trigger on both of these that yep. will delete that cache. It's like event-driven. Sort of, yeah. Yep. yeah. It's, yeah. It's Almost. a trigger. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's what I mean. Skeptically. What I meant to say was it's a trigger. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's nice. So then, then you can just rebuild it when you know it needs to be rebuilt. Yeah. And then also if you keep it in the application tier, so using something like Redis is one level up from that, which might be, it depends on what you're comfortable with. You might not yep. be comfortable writing Postgres triggers. But then how do you refresh the, the Redis layer? Well, Redis is the same thing. You just, you keep your key. So for example, if you're trying to get the list of products for the front page, yeah. then keep that in a key called front page products. Yep. And then if you need to bust that, clear that key. And then if that key doesn't exist, run the process. It's very easy to make that appear as though it's always happening as well, which is nice in terms of code readability. Yeah. doesn't need to be too verbose. Yeah, nice. But you can use anything for that as well. I also use um, Postgres. Wow, can you imagine it? So, <laughs> so Postgres, we have that key value store. Swiss Army knife of... It's the ultimate Swiss Army knife. Data. You can treat Postgres as a key value store yep. um, and just have a key and then keep a JSONB value behind it. Yep. Uh, and then you can... So it's like it becomes like a document database. Essentially. Mm. But uh, if you were to just store that JSON blob of that response behind a key, say that if you wanted to get the user's profile, yep. and that was expensive somehow, because yep. it goes to a third-party service, yep. you could just say, get this key or get the user profile. Mm. Just from Postgres, no Redis involved. Mm. That's much lighter weight than Redis. Yep. Redis is somewhat expensive. Because yeah. Redis is... Um, Actually, I read through the Redis code base the other day. Oh. It's in C. Just for fun. No, I was trying to figure out how to write good C. Ah. Like I wanted to see what the idea of like... So Redis is one of the code bases that is known as like the like ideal of well-designed C code. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Have a, have a look through that. If you think That's actually my code quite surprising it, that it's written in C because a lot of these web things are built in Java, aren't they? Actually, yeah, a lot. A, lo a lot of the Apache stuff and everything are, are Java. Yeah. Yeah. There's not much that's think about not it much I can think of that's written in C. Python. Express. Express is written in C. Not Express. Well, what? Oh, no. no. Nginx. I'm sorry. Nginx. Yeah. Are their logos similar? Why did that? Why did that just happen? I can literally see the logo, and I saw the bridges with the word Express under it. You're just thinking HTTP. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the yeah Express is C, and then you write extensions in C. Ah, Pretty there sure. You go. Maybe it's C plus plus, but anyway. I'm not ready to go there yet. But if you think my code is illegible, Frank, <laughs> no, I think your have, code's have okay. a look at C code. That's I mean, we can help you on your linting. Matt highlighted that a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> All right, next, next topic. But anyway, uh, you know, and then the other option for caching is in the client, which might even be more effective unless you're selling an API. So yep. if you have, you know, maybe implementing Redux and not making that call twice uh, is the yeah. best way to go about it. I've got this uh, package called React Query now. Everyone's hyping. Oh, is that the one that does it? It does it, yeah. Yeah, no, sorry. Yeah, it's like... I read a, a Hacker News article, but I don't think that qualifies me to talk about it. Oh, yeah, we can talk about it later, but yeah. anyway. just so you know, it's getting hyped and it does it. It does it. It does, yeah. all your, it does all your front end caching. I don't want to do it. I, I actually spent... I know you won't like it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're getting jaded with my responses you'll, now. Because you will open the package and be like, oh, this is just doing X, Y, Z and we've got 30 other dependencies. I can't see the point of we'll it. We'll just implement and then it you ourselves. Just, you just put it into API client and then that's it, problem solved. You pick out that's like- actually what, are what I was thinking of. You'll, you'll look at what's actually the value that can be delivered and how it's being delivered. Then you'll be like, I'll just pick that little- Nugget of value. Nuggety goodness. Instead of taking the whole thing. And put that into API client and problem solved. Yeah. And then I never have to it. think about it. Never again. have to think about it. Yeah. And then if something goes wrong and I want to change it, I'll change it. Yeah. 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 But then you just won't be on the. We'll have to talk about state management because we're going to get to the point. Probably, <laughs> we're trying to delay the, those decisions as long as possible. Really, which is actually your decision because I was probably on board for state management right off the get go. Oh. I was going to go for RxJS uh, Redux Observable. Ah, uh, yeah. That's, That's yeah. They're pretty popular. Yeah. I think we're doing pretty good without it, but. Yeah, well, our response times are 17 milliseconds. It's not like we're concerned. And it just, it saves us writing all that boilerplate code. You don't really have to think about like, oh, is this like mutating something else? Like yeah. you don't really have to think about the application as a whole because you just write your one component, it yep. gets the data and then that's it. Yeah, an API client makes sure that like all of the error cases and everything are like safe. Like yeah. they don't just unmount the tree. Mm. So, yeah. Look, working, I'm happy with it. I reckon wait until we actually need it. Wait but until there's like a I use said, case you, where you say we actually... I was going to say use state management right from the get-go. That was my initial yeah. position. But then you were, you were against state management. Well, because... But I, I have to agree. I've never seen state management in React that I've liked. No. The first job I was at, 
didn't require state management and we could build the whole app without it and it was easy. And then the second job I had, had this massive Redux app and I'm like- Was it tested? No. Yeah. And, um, but even if I wanted to add a small feature, I had to write all this boilerplate code. It just became annoying. Like Yeah. Redux. So it's, you know, CQRS. Have you heard of that? No. Command and query resource separation. Okay. That's what Redux is. Right. So the data that you get back is not mapped directly to it, an action. Yeah. But uh, it's well known for making your code very verbose. Oh, it gives very, you a lot of benefits, but it's yeah. like there's so much code that you have to write. Yeah. So. Well, like a few times I'd just spend hours copy pasting code. Yeah. You should look up CQRS actually. Okay. If you haven't heard about it. We'll do an episode on it though. And then you won't have to look it up. Yeah, but that turned me off because I'm like, there's heaps of times where I just wanted to grab some data and I knew it was just a single request. Why do I need to keep updating this state? The whole Redux way of doing things. Yeah. But anyway, that's fine. That's fine. That's really good. But um, we've got so much more to talk about. We might have to do another episode. We will. We're going to do a product management probably. Oh, oh shit. Geez. Sorry about that. <laughs> Once again. Just a little tickle for your ears there. <laughs> but you know what? You Serverless can... is the way of the future. I think we've we've definitely half. covered that. The path. Oh, we're gonna no half, half, halfway, half. Yeah, of the future. It's half of the future. But it's all gonna come back. You know, to those. We got to do the plugs, Frank. Uh, we, we, oh, okay. we have to, go, what go, you go, just go. said. There's another episode. There's another episode. <laughs> we ha- we de- we deploy our uh, podcast episodes on Wednesday. <laughs> you can get them on uh, Spotify and uh, iTunes. Leave us a rating on iTunes if you would. That'd be great. Only okay. one person has rated us, even though I know there's more of you listening. I can taste it. And post the questions you want James to answer on the Discord server. That's right. Just like uh, jump juggling Jason. Just juggling Jasons who is now our best friend. Any of our JSON juggling, string pushing, CSS wrangling friends. Give us any feedback you want. I, I'd love Tell to hear Tell us that you hate you. us. Because. I oh, don't do that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>